Uh, this morning, scripture reading comes from two places. It comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, and Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. So hear now the word of the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, before I jump into that, let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll jump into Proverbs 3 and 11 together. Let's pray. Father, uh, we pause now to open your word and to hear from, from you. And to listen to you. We want to know you, God. And so, Lord, open our hearts and minds um, to whatever it is you have for us, God. We believe you want to know us, and you have spoken to us. So speak now. We ask by your spirit for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, many of you know, last week I did something that no one should do. Um, And the first person actually that ever did this died. uh, And that was I, I ran the Chicago Marathon last Sunday. First, I mean, first uh, service applauded, but I mean, if you guys don't want to, you don't have, that's, thanks. <laughs> so, I just know, we're a non-applause culture, I get that, but come on. Um, no, it's, uh, and, and it, was, it was a lot of fun, and, and many of you know, I didn't just run it to run it, because no one should ever do that, um, but it was a part of it was to raise awareness for, uh, for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which my oldest son has, it was to, both to raise awareness and support, financial support for research. And, uh, and, and just to show, like, the kind of church culture we have, uh, two other campus pastors ran with me, uh, Gabe Coyle and Reed Kappel. Reed's at our Olathe campus, Gabe's at our downtown campus. We all ran together. Uh, together, our team, uh, the three of us, raised about $6,000 uh, for muscular dystrophy. And then kind of the whole parent project team together raised about $60,000, about 15 of us that ran. Um, and that's just really cool. And I looked, uh, there's a picture uh, I don't know if it was up there a second ago. There's a picture of me. I looked for one where I looked happy uh, after the race. And there wasn't one, so I'd, we didn't. That's the happiest I looked right there. It was half dead. Um, and it was like, I just, the last mile of that race in particular, as I was finishing, I sort of, I was com- like competing with two emotions. One was like overcome with joy and a sense of accomplishment because I knew I was going to finish. The other was, was truly like fighting back tears because of all the people who had supported us and who were texting us that morning and who had given and it was, just, it was a powerful story of, of generosity. We love, we love those stories when people give. And it's more than just, you know, a marathon. But uh, when I worked at Starbucks, uh, oftentimes I would end up uh, kind of helping in the drive through window. And basically, the spirit of people at, at the drive through window is just sort of imagine if the, if the pit of hell had a road running out of it, it would run straight to, to a drive through Like, that would be the next stop. People just, they're just angry, they're miserable, and just generally just not happy in the drive through line. But every now and then what would happen in the drive through is someone would say, I'm going to pay for my drink, and I'm going to pay for the people behind me. Just, I don't know them. I'm just going to act of kindness, whatever. So they would do that. And then the people would pull up, and you'd be like, hey, your drink's free. The car in front of you paid. And then they would say, well, all right, I'll pay for the car behind me. And so every now and then, right, there'd be like a strain of like five or six cars of like just generosity and giving, and the drive through was transformed from like the pit of hell to a glimpse of heaven for a minute, um, and just like stunned joy at like a cup of coffee. Like we love, 
We love stories of giving, of generosity. And have, you, have you ever wondered why? Like, why do we get so moved by these examples, these stories? The Proverbs actually give us a good reason why. And, and we're in this series where the Proverbs is about wisdom. And one of the points we've made is that, that if God made the world, like if he created the world, then he's going to have the most practical advice possible. Because he knows the way the world works. And so he knows like how to navigate it. He knows how to get us through difficult you know, relationships. Or um, we, we've talked about uh, um, <clears throat> just, just general trusting in the Lord. But today, we're gonna look at if, if, if God made the world, he understands the world, then he's going to have the best advice, the most practical advice when it comes to money, to generosity. And yet, like my encounter with people is that often uh, when I talk to people about what the Bible says about money is they think God's advice is very impractical and not realistic and not possible. And so I, just, I want to talk about that this morning. Um, and I, I think basically there's only two ways you can live your life. Uh, way one is you can live your life uh, always sure you don't quite have enough yet. Always afraid of what might happen. Always anxious about uh, what might come. And, and you might occasionally open your hand for something, but, but typically you're just gonna, your hands are going to mostly be closed. Holding on to what you've got, um, anxious, nervous. It's one way to live. The other way is your hands are always open and you always have something to give. I don't think there's a third way. I think either, either the hands are closed, always holding on to whatever you can, or they're always open, always ready to give. And the Proverbs would say, if you're going to navigate, if you're going to flourish in this life, the only way you can live is with your hands open, always ready to give. The wise person, their hands always have something to give. So I want to talk about that. And I want to do that in three points. One is, uh, to be wise with money, wise people know the power of money. Um, wise people know, or always find a way to give. And thirdly, wise people know who provides. So first, wise people know money's power. And Proverbs 10, uh, 16 summarizes this well. It, it says, uh, the wage of the righteous leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. And the point of that Proverbs is pretty simple, is that money in the hands of a righteous person, someone who knows God, it leads to life, it leads to joy, it leads to flourishing. But money in the hands of someone who doesn't know God, who's, who's sinful or wicked, that le- it leads to death, it leads to sin, it leads to destruction. And I think that's important because what I, what I hope you don't hear this morning is that money is bad. I think a lot of times when Christians teach on money, it's like, well, money's bad. Get away from it. Um, but it's not bad. It's, it's, just, it's just a thing. It can, it's a thing that can be good or it can be bad. And so in that like, vein, like think electricity. Um, I'm really grateful for electricity that uh, later tonight, uh, you know, when the Chiefs are hopefully destroying the Patriots in the NFL game tonight, like hope I'll have lights on. I'll have... Um, you know, a TV that's running on electricity, like, it's all a good thing. Like, electricity is just a thing that's often very good. But on the other hand, uh, when my two-year-old grabs a fork and is, like, jabbing at an electrical outlet, that, at that point, electricity is not a good thing, and we need to get him away. Um, for, it's dangerous. And so electricity, like, by, it's just a power. It's just a thing that can be really good or really bad. And money is the same. It's a power. It has enormous power. To either like produce flourishing and joy and um, satisfaction, or to destroy and to kill and to, to lead to sin. And so I want to unpack that in four ways: money and its power. And the first way I want to unpack is money has the power to blind. 
Proverbs 18.11, I think, is, it's a relevant verse for us in our day. Because um, I think in our case, we probably, we, this is a temptation we're all going to have. And here's what it says, Proverbs 18.11. It says, the rich think their wealth protects them. They imagine themselves safe behind it. So the image given uh, in the Hebrew there, it's actually like, you imagine like a, a large wall. Um, and and the, the wall is... Is, is money, and on the other side of the wall is like danger, trouble, all those sorts of things, and you're on this side of the wall, and what protects you from, from danger or from trouble or from evil is, is your money. And there's a, like, there's a real tension here because the Bible both praises like good savings and diligent planning and also says don't make money your safety net. This is both at the same time. And I don't, I don't know how to, like, approach that tension in another, any other way at this point than just to name it. On the one hand, you need to be wise with your money and diligent with your money. And on the other hand, it can, so, and especially in our culture, can so easily become what you think is providing for you, keeps you safe, insulates you from danger, protects you, keeps you safe. And money has the power to blind us to how it subtly moves away from diligent and planning and wise living to to now a God that's my provider and my safety and my fortress. So one, money has the power to blind. That's the, like, that's the, you know, stick the fork in the electrical socket example. But then on the other hand, like, money's not bad. So secondly, money has the power to bless. So Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will repay him for his deed. Now, I've, I've heard, you probably maybe even heard that verse before. It never, it never had occurred to me what this is saying until this week. Where, it, it, When you give to the poor, the materially poor or the marginalized, it's like giving God a loan. And you think about that. Like, God is never going to come to you and say, like, hey, I'm short 10 bucks. Can you, like, can you give me some? Right? That's, God is, it doesn't function like And yet, God's saying, your giving to the poor is like putting me in your debt. Giving to the materially poor, the marginalized within society, is like putting God in your debt. That's how important it is to God that we, with our financial resources, are generous to the marginalized and to the materially poor. And so we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but that means when we think generosity, when we think giving, we don't just think about the church. We think about those who are poor, those who are materially poor, those who who have fewer material resources than you and I have and it's not just something we all call you to individually it's also something we do as a church together in a couple of ways one um, you know one of our key partners is advice and aid which I, you know I think there's few more vulnerable uh, members of society today than uh, moms who have an unexpected pregnancy or the children that are in their womb that are part of that unexpected pregnancy and we want to partner with an organization that's going to give them resources and education walk alongside them be their be their champions their friends during that process so we support advice and aid as a way of giving to those who have fewer material resources than, than the us. And then secondly, we're a church that's all about church planning. And so I, you know, I spent my intro talking about kind of us thinking about a facility need, but we don't just want to support church planning in Johnson County. We also support church planning um, east of Truth as well. So New Community Church, Daryl Ounster preached here in February. We want to, we want to see churches planted um, both in Johnson County that needs the gospel and in Jackson County that needs the, go- the gospel in parts of our city that have very different material uh, resources available um, to them. And that doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us 
um, um, like we have something other people don't. What it means is that for whatever reasons, most of us in this room have been given uh, a, a, an amount of material resources that God expects us to use those and direct those to those who are materially poor or vulnerable or marginalized. And when we do that, like God, that, God celebrates that. It's like putting, him in, in, uh, putting God in our debt. <laughs> That's the illustration given. That's how important that is to him. So money, it has the power to blind. It has the, money, uh, the power to, to bless, right? That's the good part of money. But thirdly, uh, back to the fork in the socket thing. Uh, thirdly, money has the power to enslave. And as I've read, I mean, Proverbs is a lot of verses about money. And when I, the verse that stuck with me most this week is Proverbs eleven twenty four, And here's what it says. It says, one gives freely, right? One's generous. One gives freely and yet grows all the richer, Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So this is the paradox. The generous person gives away and has less, but actually got richer. The person who withheld has more, but is in want. And I think, especially in our culture, and listen, every commercial you ever watch teaches you this. Everything about our, the culture we live in, it pushes you again and again. You don't have enough yet. You need this. If you had that, you would, you would feel this way, or you would, uh, this, this would be true of you. If you bought this, then this will happen for you. And so we have this impressed on us again and again. I just need a little bit more. I see a little bit more, and then I can be more generous. I can have a little bit more, and then, then I can get. And, and the reality is that, that kind of, you know, fist clenched mentality, it destroys marriages, it destroys communities, it destroys cities, it destroys economies, it destroys countries. This thought that I don't have enough yet, mine, and so I have to keep my, my fists closed. And I think one of, the, one of the maybe diagnostics to know, is this, like, is this a problem for you? Is how much time do you spend worrying about not having enough money? Not like diligent planning, not like sitting down budgeting, okay, how much can I spend, how, you know, but I mean, how much are you worried about not having enough? Because that's, I think that's an indication for how, how closed your fists might be or how open they might be. So money, it has the power to, to blind us, to bless us, to enslave us, to convince us I don't have enough yet, I must hold on, I can't open my fist yet. To, to fourthly, money also has the power to free there's another great uh, proverb, uh, Proverbs 11.10. says this. It says, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And what, the point of that is, uh, the language there is it was saying is that when, like when people who love God and who are righteous, when they do well, like the whole city does well. Like when it gets better for these people, it gets better for everyone. And so uh, I'll, I'll illustrate it like... Uh, like it's not, I'm not just saying when Christians get more money, they can give more money away and everyone gets happy. That's not what I'm saying necessarily. I'm saying more than that. Um, and to illustrate it, I'm going to go to, uh, to In-N-Out. So In-N-Out uh, is, I talk about this probably once every three Sundays, even though there's like, we're like hundreds of miles from the nearest In-N-Out, but I'm still thinking about it this morning. That shows you how good it is. But uh, I read a, an article about In-N-Out this week uh, in Forbes magazine. It was an article on their CEO uh, Lindsay Snyder, she's a Christian, and and I was I was stunned by a couple things uh, about the company, and they they kind of come under some some fire uh, because they're owned by Christians, as they have certain Christian convictions, and what I what I found was uh, interesting was one uh, 
pay scale wise, they pay 30 to 40 percent more to their incoming employees than other fast food joints because they're Christians and they want to they want to provide a sustainable wage. But secondly, like their store managers make uh, if you run it in and out, you make more than a dentist in California, um, more than a number of, of high level management executives. They 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 pay very generously and that's out of their Christian convictions. And it's not just that they they pay really well, but also like they it is scientifically a fact that they have the best cheeseburger in the world. <laughs> and so like that like when they do well, everyone it's better for everyone. Right? There's better cheeseburgers and there's better pay, right? They, they everyone that comes in con- in contact with In-N-Out rejoices because here are our Christians, right? You're you're with me uh, in more than one way. And and that so when you think about generosity, like don't just think about, well, I have some money, I can give it away. But also, like, maybe you run a business. Maybe you are a management over people. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're, you're just, you're brand new job, new to the place. Like, if, as a result of your work and vocation, do other people flourish? Like, is there tangible good, whether a new job or a better paying job or a better product? Because, because you're, you're living with hands open. Generous. So again, money, it's not bad. It's, it's just a thing with some power. And it can blind you, it can bless you, it can enslave you, or it can free you. And my guess is like point one, that's not super controversial. Probably most of it we're tracking. It's point two, this is where things get a little sticky. And uh, point two, uh, wise people always find a way to give. All right, point one, easy. Point two, let's get to the question we're all thinking, which is, all right, what, what's my bill? What do I owe? How much? And... And I'm, listen, I'm going to shoot straight on this. And I don't have time to unpack a theology of what percentage you should give of your income away. I, 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 just, I don't have time for that. But also, it's, that's actually not a very debated fact um, within theological uh, circles, which is that everyone basically agrees in the Old Testament, there was an expectation you would give a tithe, a 10% of whatever you brought in to the household of God, to sort of the temple and the sacrifices and all of those things. So 10% of everything you owe, no questions, went to the, um, to the temple. And then on top of that, there was expectations of giving to the poor and to the marginalized, of uh, participating in certain feasts that you would invite other people into your home. So that there, was just, there were a lot of categories out of which you would give. But what everyone basically agrees on is that the expectation was 10% of your income um, went to the household of God, and then you were expected to give above and beyond for that to other things, especially the poor and the marginalized. And then you get to the New Testament, and there's not a verse that, like, breaks down, all right, if you pay, if you, if you, you know, this is your, you know, like, the, the ta- there's not a tax table in the New Testament, right? There's just not. And there's no rule, uh, like, hard and fast rule in the New Testament. And that's led a lot of Christians, or, like, there's no verse where it says you have to give 10% or you have to give 8% or whatever. And that's, so that's led a lot of Christians to conclude, well, we can just, we can give whatever we want. We can decide what we want to give, and depending on how much we have available to us, that's what we give out of. And that's, that's a decision each Christian makes um, by themselves with their own conviction. And, and that's, that's probably the predominant way uh, within the United States, the way people think about um, giving, which is why about 10, 25% of Christians today who go to church uh, give 10% of their income um, away. As most people think, no, you get to kind of you get to decide for, for yourself. And, and so I, I'm going to tell you what my conviction is, and then I'm, gonna, um, I'm just going to push for a minute. And, and so my conviction is... Uh, it's probably that 10% number is still a good baseline with the expectation that giving to the poor and the marginalized are above and beyond that. And the reason I think that is because of a question that once got put to me, which is Old Testament believers, you know, they gave 10% of their income away, more than that even. And, 
but we're on this side of Jesus. Right, so that was their expectation, but now we know the story of Jesus, of the Son of God uh, giving up the riches of heaven, coming and joining us on earth, teaching us, loving us, serving us, speaking to us, healing us, eventually dying on the cross for us, <laughs> giving us grace, eternal salvation, mercy, right? And so if you're, if, if, and this question was put to me, if your conclusion then is, well, in light of Jesus, I'm now I'm in a better negotiating position with God to lower his expectation of my generosity. I just don't I don't think that's true. I don't there's I just don't think you can say that the burden is less on us who have been given so much more. And again, that's my conviction. There's not I don't have a verse in the Bible. I I, I think that makes sense um, to me. But often I, I people tend to not argue the theology of that, it, just, it tends to be more in these conversations, like, well, Tim, that's just impractical. Like, it's just, we have so many bills, we have so many financial responsibilities, it's just, it's, just, it's not practical. And yet, I want to I say two things to that. Uh, first is, it actually, it is really practical, because this is who you are hardwired to be. And generosity, it's a paradox, as, as Proverbs 11 says, which is, if you open your hands out to give, you get richer. If you, if you withhold, you're going to suffer want. It's a paradox. And it's a paradox that's not just true in the Bible. It's, also, it's just true sociologically. And so there was a book written by uh, University of Notre Dame professors called The Paradox of Generosity. And one of the conclusions of the book, this is what they say. So those who give receive back in turn. By spending ourselves for others' well-being, we enhance our own flourishing, or we enhance our own standing in letting go some of what we own, we better secure our own lives. By giving ourselves away, we ourselves move toward flourishing. This is not only a philosophical or religious teaching, it is a sociological fact. And they go on to show, like, like, so, like human nature, it is true. When you are generous, your life is better. Every, like, your life is better when you're giving yourself Away. So one, you're hardwired. This actually is a very, this is very good practical advice from Proverbs. If you want to have, if you want to be happier, give more of your stuff away. So like the best practical advice maybe I've ever shared with you. And then secondly is, it's not just that you're hardwired, hardwired this way, like the universe is hardwired this way. And again, one of the, one of the points of Proverbs, why, one of the reasons why when Proverbs begins, this life of wisdom, it starts by saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart, minds, uh, or trust in the Lord, lead not in your own understanding, is because Proverbs is, it's sort of like, uh, it's like an equation almost. Like, you know, two plus two equals four. And, and a lot of the Proverbs, what they're saying is, if you, if you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. Most likely. Not all the time, but, but most of the time. And the reason for that is because they're, they're assuming God has made the world a certain way. And so when it comes to generosity, when it comes to giving, the assumption is, if you give, you flourish. And if you withhold, you suffer. Now, does it always work that way? Not always. Um, in the long run, it always works out that way. Um, like post-death, it always works out that way. But, but in the short run, sometimes there are lots of people who grab on everything they can, and they, they got it, they're loving life, and it looks great. Um, so it doesn't always work out that way. But sociologically and theologically, this, God made the universe to reward generosity, to reward an open-handed way of living. And if, if you're sitting there thinking, that's not practical, I can't make that work, that's too much money right now, I, I, you didn't invent money. God did. So he, like, he understands better than you what, what it means 
to handle and to, to lead out of our financial resources. And he, he calls us to an open-handed life with always something to give. And so that, that's point two. That's why the wise person always has something to, to give. And so how, what does that look like? And, and what if, you know, as you leave this place this morning, a couple of things I'd encourage you to do that, to, to embody this. Well, maybe for some of you, this is encouragement. Keep doing it. Some of you, it's like you need a new habit. But first is, first habit, new habit, it would be to give first. And that's what Proverbs 3.9 is getting at when it says to honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now that, we don't live in an agrarian culture anymore. So in other words, like you, don't, you probably don't tithe in your farming harvest. It's probably not, you're probably not going to bring like sheaves of wheat in next Sunday to Andrew and I. And if you do, bring them to Andrew, not me. Um, <clears throat> but uh, he actually won't be here, so don't bring them at all. Um, but uh, like in that, in that culture, when you had, you had a harvest, you'd, you'd have kind of a first run of your land and you'd bring it all in. And when it says, you know, give, give a tithe of your first fruits, what it's saying is don't, don't wait until you know the whole picture before you decide what to give. You give 10% as it comes in. You bring in a harvest, you set aside 10%. You go back out, you do round two, you set aside 10% again. You don't, it's, it, giving is the first part of your budget. And so maybe for some of you, the first step this morning actually is to get, have someone help you create a spending plan or a budget, something like that. But if you're doing that, or if you're, even if you're not, the first step in the spending plan, in the budget, should always be, what are we giving away? What are our first fruits that are, are marked and designated, and that, that line of the budget doesn't get touched for anything but what we're, we're giving ourselves away for? So give first. And then secondly is, would be to give more. And all of us, especially a lot of us in this room, we're in our early 30s or mid-30s, late 30s, which means we probably, our income capacity growing is going to grow over time, um, most likely. And as it grows, uh, what matters more to you, to keep up with the Joneses or to increase your, your generosity? And, and we need to guard against lifestyle creep. Decisions we think, well, I need, because I make more money, I can now get this, or I can now have this. And listen, again, money's not evil. It's not bad to necessarily have some of those things. And yet, uh, probably the key question for you to ask throughout your life is, is, does my lifestyle look significantly different? Am I living at a significantly lower level than someone who's not a Christian who makes the same income that I make or that my family has? Because to be like to be generous at the level Proverbs speaks to requires a significant gap between what we spend and what we make. And it, it's really hard to create that margin. And if it's not a priority for you, you will not, you will not create that, that margin. And so listen, I know this is, a really, this is really challenging stuff. This, I'm being pretty straightforward uh, this morning. And, and so I, th- I think there's, when it comes to this topic, I think we typically have two weaknesses as Christians in this culture today, which is on the one hand, we, uh, we don't listen to the Bible's advice. Right? When, when the Bible says just give 10% away, I think we often see that as like a law. We, you know, it's a crushing command. What it actually is, is it's, it's good advice about how to manage your money. It's practical good advice about how to manage your money. So when we don't listen to the Bible's advice, but secondly, we, we don't seek or understand that God provides. And that's where I want to end, is, is wise people know who provides so I guess, like, money is, I think money is the most, uh, 
It's the hardest topic to talk about in church. It's the only topic I've ever had anyone. I've had multiple people tell me this. You will, as a pastor, you will never talk to me about money. I mean, people tell me that. It's it's weird. It gets weird in church. And and my guess is like, there's probably all of us can fit into four one of four camps, or maybe you're. Maybe you have two, multiple camps you're, you're a part of, but I think we're all maybe thinking through four things, um, one of four things this morning. Some, some of you, maybe many of you, uh, you, you think I'm wrong and I'm impractical. Giving 10% away is ridiculous. It's not possible. Um, I don't understand your bills or your, your you know, just impractical advice. That's one. Um, secondly, so there's some of you, you're, you're living this out, and I hope, like, you're just, like, you're just, like, yeah, you're just wind behind your sails. Keep at it. Good advice, right? This is, this is the way you're called to live. Thirdly, probably this is most of us, uh, there's just a lot of guilt. <laughs> the guilt's pretty heavy because a lot of times, like, financial decisions we make can take years to undo. So this can feel like, you know, like yes, money has enslaved me. I feel incredibly guilty right now. Or fourth, like, life, like, like the amount of needs you have to the amount of money you have, like, it doesn't, they don't add up. And money is really tough, and, and life is really hard um, right now, and poverty is, is real. And wherever you're at this morning, um, again, maybe one, maybe multiple of those camps, I, we have to, like, we cannot forget the way the Bible talks about money, which it always starts with God is our provider. And so there's this moment in, in this letter, 2 Corinthians, where Paul is writing to a church that has, like, financial means, the church in Corinth. It was a pretty wealthy local economy. And he's asking them to give to the church in Jerusalem, which was undergoing a famine. This was a poor church to begin with, and now they're suffering like they're hungry. And so Paul, he wants, he's going to take an offering. He wants them to give generously. And he doesn't, he doesn't go and say, you guys have a bunch of money. You better give some. Like he, doesn't, he doesn't guilt trip them. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't uh, you know, point out their flaw. He, he, he points them to Jesus. And he says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you and me, by his poverty, might become rich. And I started this morning by saying, I think there's only two ways to live. And that is, like, close-fisted, always anxious, never enough money, never enough to make ends meet, always concerned, always worried. That, that's one. The other is open-handed, always with something to give. And, I, like, until, until you've taken Jesus all the way into the inside of who you are, and so when you hear those words, Paul is saying that Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to enter into this world, to, to know you, and to give up his own life, to, to, to pour out his riches to you so that we who are, are poor might become rich. Until that is like just so central to who you are, until that's the center of everything you are, then of course you and I are going to always want the latest thing and always be pushing our finances to make generosity impossible, always, buy, always living outside our means, always having a lifestyle. Of course we're going to have those things because we're going to be convinced the riches Jesus offer us is less than the riches we can provide for ourselves. And Paul just looks at this church in Corinth and says, do you, do you know what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand like what he's given up for you? So give. Your hands are open. So why are we saying the song earlier? Like, listen, I've, a lot of my life over the last year, year and a half, has felt like God has taken a lot from me, not necessarily financially, but just, just in general. Like, I've lost, I feel, it's felt like I've lost a lot. And I encountered that song, and transparently, like, that song was really hard to hear. Uh, it's one of my favorites now, Living in the Overflow. Um, it, was, it's really, it was really hard to hear for a long time because it's like, well, my life's pretty, stinks right now. Like, it's really hard. And yet, if 2 Corinthians 8 9 is true, 
Like, you, like how, could you, how could you and I in Jesus not live open-handed? Like the Son of God poured his riches onto us. You may not have a dollar to give, but you always have something to give. And a lot of us probably have a lot more financial generosity in us because we haven't taken in the generosity of what Jesus offers to us through a relationship to him. Like, this is, this is how the university works. It runs on generosity. That's who the God who wants to know you and me every day of our life, that is who he is. And, and, and you and I, like, how could we make money our fortress or our safety or our protection or what we dwell on and think about when here is the God of the universe who invites us daily to know him, to be known by him, who, has, who can provide everything and has already provided you his own son. And if he's provided us his own son, what else will he not give us? What else will he not provide? Which is why you and I, we... As Christians, we do not live with closed fists, anxious and worried about what, what, what do we have enough? Do I, like, do I need to worry? No, 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 no. We have been given Jesus, the Son of God, who didn't just enter into this world for us, but went to a cross for us. And even when, when everything physically he owned was taken from him and he was nailed to a cross, he still had eternal salvation and mercy and grace to give to you and me. And if you know that God, if you make your life about knowing that God, your hands, no matter how poor, no matter how empty they may feel, they will always have something to give. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now as as a God who has provided us your own son. And God, I just confess, I preach that, like I just... I kind of say that, and I go over that, and I don't just stop to dwell. You, you, you provided us as a means of salvation, your own son. And God, many of us, me included, now we, just, we navigate this life with money as our trust and money as our guide. And Lord, how foolish we are. When you're right there with your son, pouring out all of, all of the life you have to us. And Jesus came, he said, I, I have come to give life and give it abundantly. And Lord, we, we need that. And so I pray now as we sing, as we worship, and as we prepare to take communion in a moment, Lord, um, God, open our hearts to your provision, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.